Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today my guest is Dr. Stern, who is an associate professor for forensic pathology at UF College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Stern, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on because it's I feel like forensic pathology is a very specific field, and there's not very many of you at the vet school. Would you say that you're a minority at the vet school? I'm definitely a minority at the vet school. I'm on the only one. You're the only <laughs> one. So, you know, before we get into what forensic pathology is, can you tell me where did you go to undergrad? So I went to undergrad at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., Okay, right next door to the White House. What was your major? Um, it started out as international affairs. And then it changed to biology and figured out veterinary medicine um, was my fit. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of how it all began. Did you apply to vet school right after undergrad? I did. Did you get in the first time? I did. How many vet schools did you apply to? I think 20. Wow. Okay, so you shot like a big net out there. And which school did you choose? I went to the University of Prince Edward Island. Okay, so that's an international school. Correct. And where is it? It's in Prince Edward Island, eastern Canada, just uh, north of Nova Scotia. Was it a four-year program still? Yes. Okay. Uh, so you, why did you choose it? I love lobster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but that was that was actually the first school I got accepted to, and I just ran with it. Perfect. And how was that experience going to an international school? It was perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you acclimate really easily. Um, yeah, it was very simple. I traveled a lot, so I was used to being in a different place. When in vet school, did, like, did you know forensics right from the get-go? How did you get exposed to it? We didn't. <laughs> it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. Um, I actually didn't get exposed to it until I did my pathology residency. Okay. And that's really when... Um, I started to take an interest um, in the area. Now, my understanding for a pathology residency, you don't have to do an internship. Is that was that the case for you? That was the case for me. It's not. Some people do, mm-hmm. um, and then some people go right out of vet school. Um, there's multiple ways to go in, but internships aren't required. Okay, so you went DVM residency in pathology. Where'd you do your residency? The Oklahoma State University. Okay, uh, and then after that, oh, so during that time. Is that when you were exposed to forensics? That's when I got exposed. How did you get the exposure? Um, by seeing one or two cases that were uh, legal in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the first one was a starvation, and then the other one was some sort of projectile trauma, so gunshot injury. Oh, my God. Um, and that's those are the first two. And, and then just doing some research of sort of who's who in the, the field – uh, which there wasn't a lot of, of people then. It's grown a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, started to, you know, intrigue me, and I kind of just went in that direction. Did you have to do another residency for that, or was forensics covered in your residency? So it wasn't covered oh. at all. Um, basically, it was on-the-job learning uh-huh. um, and then going to continue, continuing education workshops and different conferences okay. is where you would get it. Now, we've had two 
have I had two? I've had at least two pathologists on the show before. So will you explain the difference between like clinical and anatomic pathology and forensic pathology? Like yeah. what is forensics? So clinical and anatomic pathology, that's that's simple. So the clinical pathologist will look at blood smears. They'll do cytologies, um, chemistries, um, those sorts of things where the anatomic pathologist typically looks at either tissue, like a bigger biopsy, mm-hmm. or the entire body. Right. Um, and so those are the two distinctions. When we get into forensics, um, really what we're doing in forensics is we are using the animal um, as evidence, and we're going to go ahead and present that evidence to the legal system. Mm-hmm. So whether it's to police officers, to attorneys, typically it's the court system mm-hmm. where we're going to present our evidence. Um, so that's the forensic part. So we get a lot more documentation, more photography, uh-huh. um, but we're presenting all that evidence um, in a court. So if I'm a student and I'm really interested in disease or you know pathology in general, what would push me towards forensics versus clinical or anatomic path? What kind of personality or desires do I want in a job to choose forensics? So forensics... Really, you want to have an inkling for the the mystery. Mm. Um, I mean, have an interest in the criminal justice system um, as a whole, um, uh, things like that. That that's really what's gonna kind of get you going in that direction. You want to you want to essentially tell the story of of your patient. Yes. Um, and so it's it's not for everybody. Um, because there can be a lot of emotions that uh, come sure, out. Sure, sure. Um, just like if you're a, 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 an MD pathologist, so on the human side, not every pathologist wants to be a forensic pathologist. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have you're gonna have emotions, and there's a lot of different feelings that you may or may not want to deal with. Because we are saying that some type of crime could be involved. It could be crimes, um, you know. We have our cases can be everything from little puppies and kittens all the way to the geriatric animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, to be honest with you, a lot of the the crimes are are, are rather graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so not for the faint of heart students. Correct. Okay. That, I think, is a wonderful distinction. I know a lot of our students get involved in vet med because they are very, uh, I, you know, tenderhearted, passionate about animals really want to save them from suffering and you're not saving them from suffering you're defending them potentially after they've suffered would we say that's accurate yeah i would if 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 a pathologist sees a case most and and the animal did have some sort of non-accidental trauma or disease or whatever it is yeah they've potentially suffered and mm-hmm. so we're seeing the end result Ugh. um we're not we're not saving the life of that animal, we might be helping other animals yes. because we've identified something that might be suspicious, mm-hmm. might be a crime, might be investigated by law enforcement. Yeah, They might have a perpetrator. That that person might get convicted, go to jail. We might have saved yes. future victims. Yes. But we're not saving our patient. Our patient mm. is, is, has already, has already moved on. Right. Yeah. Uh, what, who is your client then? So my clients range from veterinarians, mm-hmm. um, especially if they've um, 
potentially documented a case that they suspect might be some mm. sort of abuse, mm-hmm. neglect, mm-hmm. Um, law enforcement, mm-hmm. and then even individual pet owners. Yes. You and I were chatting and I was asking some questions and you mentioned malpractice. So would we say the two types of cases you see are um, potentially someone thinks the veterinarian made the mistake and then the other cases would be that um, clients or humans that they're producing the harm? Are those the two main situations or could it be environmental? Where are these cases coming from? So yeah, so they're they're coming from all over, but a lot of it is just going to be potential criminal activity. Mm -hmm. So somebody, um, not to get too graphic, but maybe somebody beat a dog to death. Yeah, yes. Okay. Um, Could be an animal um, was, had a surgery done and the animal died within 24 hours. Uh You know, did something go wrong with the surgery? Is there something else going on? Um, So sometimes that that question comes up. Mm -hmm. And And it could be something as simple as, your dog goes to the groomer. We read about that, and the dog dies or gets into a fight with a, oh. a bigger dog. Um, and so people will want to get those cases documented as well. So these cases come across your desk. Uh, what tools are, are you using as a veterinarian to go through a case? Can you walk me through like what you do when something comes to you? Yeah, I could easily do that. Great. So so the, the first part is, is really just reading the history get an understanding of, of what is thought to have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of get all the details that you can um, because in those details there might be some clue that might say we might need to do a different approach because they suspect maybe there's a gunshot injury. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, And let's go with the gunshot injury. From that, if we know that that's possible, um, we're going to do some imaging of these animals before we even – do our postmortem or autopsy um, or necropsy, depending on what word you want to use. Um, so we'll do a CT scan. Oh. So radiology will get involved. Oh. And so they're going to be um, helping me look for metallic objects like a bullet. Oh, wow. Um, so that that's going to be helping me find so the, the needle in a haystack, so to speak, is to know, is there one? If it is, where is it located? Or are there just little fragments? Mm-hmm. And that's going to sort of help us um, – sort of set up our case. Okay. Um, from there, then I'll actually go into doing the, the post-mortem exam. We do external exams, internal exams. We'll look at tissues under a microscope eventually. Wow. Um, and really put it all together in the end. Super comprehensive. Yeah. I have to imagine that a forensic pathologist needs to have excellent written communication because you have to write up your case at the end. Would that is that true? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and do you have to also know like legal jargon? Do you have to be able to write it in a way that is helpful to push the case forward? So when I write my cases, I'm just writing the facts that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, if I see a fracture, I'll tell you all about the fracture. Um, I leave the a lot of the legal jargon to the attorneys, okay? Because that's that's their job. Yes, um, they're going to be running the whole thing through the court system. Mm-hmm. I'm there to document what happened to this animal, okay? Um, and so I kind of keep it a little simpler um, with my verbiage um, because a lot of people who will read my report are not always medically trained. Sure. And so to get everybody to understand it, we got to keep it simple. 
Have you ever been called into the court as an expert witness? Yes, I have. Oh, that's intense. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so potentially this person who gets into this field needs to be comfortable getting up in front of either, you know, a, an audience or just like a judge, I would say. Um, that's, that's something that they need to think about, too. Yeah, you're going to have an audience. You'll have a judge. You'll have attorneys, a defendant. Um, if you have a jury there, it um, could be six or 12 people on the jury. Typically, it's wow. 12. Um, but I've had cases where it's been six. Um, and then potentially there's people just observing the trial. So you have a lot of people and all eyes are on you when you're testifying. Yeah. And so that's the written and verbal communication. So it's totally, it's a different type of client education at that point, because you're going up and having to get your point across as the medical expert. So for me, it makes me think about one health goes even deeper than animal, human, and environmental health. We're bringing the law in now. So we are super cross-disciplinary in your particular field. Yeah. No, we get, you get a lot of cross-disciplines being involved here. I really, every day I have a, a guest on, I'm just so excited about vet med because there's so much that our students get exposed to and can do in the field. It's so much more than just puppies and kittens. <laughs> That's very cool. It's the hard thing that I'm having right now chatting with you is typically I ask my guests, like, what is a great day in the life of your profession? Or tell me about some fun cases or some fun, uh, the best, the coolest animal you've worked with. I can't ask you that question. So I guess <laughs> what excites you about your job? Um, the one thing that really excites me about my job, I mean, I love everything that I do, um, but I do like interacting with the students. Okay. Um, essentially because you're you're training your replacement yeah you know i mean yeah i'm like in the middle part of my career and all um but you're training the next generation mm -hmm. and so to interact with students who are are, are really gung-ho especially in in veterinary medicine in general um but in veterinary forensic science um it's a lot of fun mm -hmm. um, because you could teach them a lot. We just did um, a workshop, um, and we're going to recreate it um, for students is my goal um, and really get them to kind of have mock crime scene experience so cool. they can come across what they might see. So you sometimes go to a crime scene. I don't typically. Okay. Um, I, I'm usually a lab person. Okay. Um, if I'm asked to go to one, sure, I'll go and, and, and have a look and assist. Um, but a lot of times the pathologist um, on the veterinary side, we usually just see stuff in the lab. Okay. What is the work-life balance like for a forensic pathologist? The work-life balance. Because I know you're um, a busy guy. It was hard to get I, you in this booth. <laughs> I get phone calls at night about cases and all that, and mm -hmm. that's just because – I want to. Okay. Um, I, I want to be available all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a really good work-life balance. Mm -hmm. You know, I the one thing I say about what I do is what I do, I leave at work. Okay. I don't take it you home don't have to with take me. It home. Um, mentally, it stays at work. Okay. So you uh, can turn it off. I turn it off. I go home and I do my thing mm -hmm. um, and come in the next day and start doing it again. But I, I've learned to sort of switch it on, switch it off. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that's one of the reasons why it's not for everybody because some people will not be able to no. turn it off. I'm sure they see some, see and hear some yeah. haunting things. W- do you think you have set work hours? Because is there ever an emergency in forensic pathology? Everything's already kind of passed. Yeah, everything, everything's passed. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but there there could be. Okay. Um, you know, I I had a case, you know, a couple of years ago now, where it was. Um, an animal, an animal death, but also a, a homicide mm. in the house mm-hmm. as well. So th- your case is important, but now there's there's a lot more to it. Yes, and what you find might actually be helpful um, for the for the big picture. Right. And, and what I what I found from that case um, was um, I had a theory when I was looking at my patient, and uh-huh. I, I said something to law enforcement. And they're like, that's interesting. Can you tell us what your theory was? My theory was I was looking at a really big dog. Okay. And the dog had a lot of injuries to it that were supportive of this person being really close to the dog. And I said, think about that person being bit by the dog. Um, and, and the suspect was. And so that was really helpful. Yeah. Um, Did they not see a dog bite? Like, why wasn't it obvious ha- to they them? They didn't have the suspect at the time. So, oh, you're saying that did, the suspect was bit. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, and is that how they found the person? That was one. Wow. One thing. I want to. I want to sum up what just happened so y'all can follow it. So, the someone had died, yep. right? And then they had a big dog. The dog was dead. Yep. Dog was dead as well. But you told the police officers like, notice how large the dog is. The dog. What we're saying is the dog defended the owner, but then. It's also defending itself. And defend itself. Exactly. Defends itself, defends the owner. So go and look for someone who got bit by a dog. Yeah. So that wow. was that was that was one piece of the bigger puzzle. Yes. Um and you thinking of that helped catch that person, which helps protect future, you know, yeah. victims and, and their animals. You said that you got continued education. So do you think that someday there will be a specific residency for forensic pathology? Or is everybody up to become an expert in their own way? So that would be our dream mm-hmm. as as pathologists to have residencies. Um, is that a reality? Yeah, mm-hmm. Not sure. Okay. Can't, I can't answer that now. Um, but I do have an I. I do have residents who will come here to UF, mm-hmm. and um, they'll spend a week here. Okay, and, and getting and, some training, and getting some training, some shadowing. Um, we have mock cases that they can work up as well. Does every I don't know if you know this, but does every college of vet med in the country have a forensic pathologist? No, they don't. Okay, so, so students, this UF might be a place to come get your DVM or residency training, so you can be exposed to that. What advice do you have for pre-vet students? who are getting involved in this profession, either specifically to forensic pathology or just in general, what advice would you give them? Well, um, the one thing I would say is be Mm open-minded, okay? What you come in at day one of vet school might not be what you walk out doing. Mm -hmm. Um, That happened to me, and by the third day, I already changed my mind. So oh, third day. <laughs> so you know it'll it'll change with your experiences, what your your summer studies and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think you have to diversify yourself as to your experiences when you're you're preparing to go to vet school because it'd be really nice for you to have experience working with a small malpractice 
a large animal practice, maybe do an exotic or a lab animal component. Mm -hmm. um, so you can start to see it beforehand. Absolutely. I think that's pretty important. And we highly encourage that for you for your application as well. So take Dr. Stern's advice. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Stern, for being on the podcast today and opening us up to a way that veterinarians can play a huge role in the law system. So cool what you do. <laughs> I'm glad we have you here to explain it to us. Students, go ahead and do some more research about forensics, forensic pathology. Uh, there are definitely more parts of the field that even I am not aware of. So go ahead and do some research and get even more excited about the field you're getting into. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.